L. Dewey in the chat room wants to know what we think about Signal's new feature. They added stories. They're rolling out stories to Signal. And uh, Brent, when I've uh, spied on you, I've noticed that you're a Signal user. And I'm curious uh, if you're going to be using Signal stories. I didn't look into it, to be honest. But from what I can tell from other people, it seems like the implementation is really good. If it's a feature you care about. But I got to be honest, like the last five plus features, like major features that they've come out with, I just haven't been excited about it at all. Isn't it funny how we seem to be here with messengers? By the way, I should mention, it does look like Signal lets you just turn it off. Which is nice. Yeah. That being said, the implementation, I think they did tastefully. Telegram today, as we record, is rolling out new features. They said they would have had sooner, but it was Apple's fault. And I think the number one feature that looks interesting to us is they're adding transcription to audio and video messages. Ooh, this I did not hear. That is very exciting. You know, that's my favorite feature of my voicemail provider is that they just send me text. I don't need to listen to the thing. Come on. Video transcriptions only available if you pay. (laughs) I guess we should have expected it to come to that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of actually understand. My criticism has been so far that they haven't introduced anything that's worth paying for. Now they are. And if they do that in status updates, that's pretty good. They're also introducing topics for groups. So you can set a group topic. So they're competing with Slack now? Is that what's going on? Maybe. And uh, I know you're going to love to see this. They're adding collectible usernames. An NFT-like. Don't call it an NFT. (laughs) Don't call it an NFT, but it's NFT-like. And it's secured by the Ton. What? Ton. Tone blockchain. Yeah. Why do we have to do this to every, like, good product? (laughs) I don't know. Can't we just, like, make another thing? (laughs) It's office hours. With me, Chris. All right, welcome into Old Man Radio, where we complain about chat messaging and apps that are adding silly avatars. My name is Chris, and I'm joined here with my good buddy, Brent. Hello, Brent. Hello, hello. Great to be here. It is. We started this morning with uh, kind of, I don't know, a smattering of topics, and now we have really kind of honed in on a weaponized show, if you will. So it's a normal day, it sounds like. (laughs) It is. It's a normal day in podcast land. And there is a lot happening. And one of the things I like to do when I bring you into my office is I like to tell you a little bit about my industry, my place of work, and that is in podcasting. And in the local area news, our friends over at Podverse have a brand new release. Podverse 4.6.12 is ready for testing. And uh, the big one here is you can import OPML from other apps into Podverse now. Huge. That's exciting. You can also sync new episode indicators across devices, so you'll know if you've seen it once. That's awesome. You can also dismiss them. And a bunch of other things in here, too, like how things get auto-deleted or not. Improvements to the transcript screen. We'll come back to that. And uh, some fixes for issues, including uh, some stuff for Matrix users which is really great to see. So that's brand new version of Podverse, the open source cross-platform podcasting 2.0 app that we love. And Fountain has a brand new release as well. They have just been cranking out the updates over at Fountain. 0.55 is available for iOS and Android now. Several playback and stability bug fixes that have been addressed in this one. Uh, 5.0 is a big release, lots of new features in there. And it's great to see Fountain also just cranking out the updates and improving the app consistently. When I first started using Fountain a few months ago, it was rough. 
And uh, I really think they've come a, a long ways. And this kind of thing's hard, right? These are all new apps, but it's pretty impressive to see the trajectory. Both Podverse and Fountain have just been getting improvements and development at a breakneck rate. It's really impressive. I, I've been impressed with how active these projects are, especially like in the open source-esque way that they're um, developing features and getting feedback from users. Like even Fountain said, you know, please keep sending feedback on all the, the things that need a little bit of our, our, our attention. So I, I think that's been super exciting to see is just all the excitement around podcasting 2.0 stuff. And you know, there is a lot of work to be done, so it's good to see them sustain this pace. Uh, I hope they can keep at it. Um, and I, I hope that uh, I hope that this time in a year, they're going to be just in an absolute remarkable spot. And I have been more and more impressed just sticking with them. I feel like it's been paying off. I really like the apps. I really like boosting my podcasts. With that, let's shift to something that's, well, I think a lot of people are going to think this is bad news, uh, but it's actually great news. And I have to go back in time, go, go way back in time, maybe about two, three years ago, when I would get a question all the time. I don't know if you remember this question, Brent. Hey, why don't you guys put your videos up on Odyssey? Have you heard about Library? It's this new platform. It's an alternative to YouTube. And then often in, in that question, they'd cite such and such in our community has just moved their videos over to this platform. Are you, when are you guys going to do it? Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we get that a lot with different technologies and stuff, but that one specifically. Yeah. And I remember at the time I said, I'm not exactly comfortable with library and Odyssey. It just seems like another centralization just on a different platform, right? That's the problem I think PeerTube solves is everybody runs their own federated instance. The library just seemed like another centralization. The other thing I didn't like about it is library created their own coin. A token called, I think it's uh, LBC. And this was a big red flag to me. You guys know I'm not a fan of the coins. I, I think 98% of them are all scams. And the other issue is, is that most of them are securities. Now, just a really quick overview of what that is. You have, you have securities and you have equities, or I, I, I'll just say property. You have securities, which are like stocks. That is, you buy a stock, that stock is being managed, you know, the company is being managed by a core group of managers. You as an investor are buying that stock with the assumption that after that business pays its expenses, you're going to make a profit on that stock. And that group is working, that, that management group is working on your behalf to make sure your investment returns profit because they're working to manage the company properly so it earns profit. So you invest in a stock, like when you buy Apple stock or Tesla stock, you're investing, expecting the company to become worth more. And you expect it's going to get that way by the leadership that runs the company making the right decisions. That's a security. An equity, and I could be getting these terms wrong because I am not a financial advisor, but something like property, that's the whole item. That's the final thing. That's the raw material. You own that. That might be what the business is actually buying to manufacture to make their widget. But you're buying the raw thing, land, a mineral, an asset like Bitcoin. That is been determined by the SEC and the IRS to be property. The IRS taxes it as property. The SEC looks as it, at it as a commodity. So it is not a security because it's not centrally managed. There's no pre-mine. There's nobody that got access to it before it went public. And there's no team of investors 
or organizers or managers that are working to make Bitcoin worth more money. But that is exactly what Library was doing. And as I predicted two to three years ago, a judge this week has ruled that Library was in violation of U.S. SEC laws and that the Library token, LBC, was a security. It was a security that they worked to make worth more money. And they used this fake money to pay people to sell and buy USD to then pay for things. They essentially worked to bring up the value of money they were printing so that way they could buy things like content creators, infrastructure, anybody that they could get to take either LBC directly or they would sell LBC on the open market. And what happens with these, and this is just going to keep happening, is the SEC uses something called the Howey test. And every crypto, with maybe the exception of Monero, fails or passes the Howey test, depending on how you look at it. And the Howey test is what they used in this case. It's really simple. It is, quote, the investment of money in a common enterprise with the expectation of profits to be derived solely on the efforts of a promoter or a third party. That's every cryptocurrency out there, guys. That's all of them. Again, Bitcoin is the only one that didn't have a pre-mine and doesn't have somebody centrally managing it and it doesn't have a marketing team. All the other cryptocurrencies have VC investors and marketing teams and people that have access to the token before the public got access to the token. They go on to say in the court ruling, quote, there was a reasonable expectation of profits to be derived from the entrepreneurial or managerial efforts of others. That made LBC a security. That meant that Library was in violation the moment they put LBC live. They were in violation of the SEC's laws. And this is setting precedent. This will set precedent, will likely set precedent in the U.S. for other cryptocurrencies. And this includes a lot of stuff. This is a major shift. And this is why I never wanted to get involved with Library or Odyssey. And it was obvious years ago that this was going to be an issue. And this was a tricky one, you know, because it was painted with a brush of being the YouTube savior, getting us away from Google, right? You had that pressure of, well, don't you want to support a YouTube alternative? It sounds like we do, but not some that break laws on the first day that they're, they're set out. This decision seems almost bigger than just library. Like it's going to obviously spread to other crypto stuff, right? And so I would imagine... This is just the start, do you think? My thought is, because it's a great question, my thought is it goes as far as the SEC wants to take it because this is literally every crypto but Bitcoin and potentially Monero. Library says as much. Their first tweet in the thread on November 7th, 2022 was, we lost. Sorry, everyone. The follow-up tweet is, we're going to lick our wounds for a little bit, but we're not giving up. We've got a bright team, tens of millions of pieces of content, hundreds of thousands of creators, and one of the most popular Web3 apps in the world. What does that tell you right there? Mm -hmm. That this was one of the most popular Web3 apps in the world. Right. That tells you something about Web3 right there. But then this is the last tweet in the thread. The language used here sets an extraordinarily dangerous precedent that makes every cryptocurrency in the U.S. a security, including Ethereum. And I 100% agree with their take on that. It absolutely does. So this ridiculous clown organization that was printing their own money to buy 
goods, services, and creators that was obviously in violation of SEC guidelines and laws of of the U.S. has now just ended up setting precedent that the SEC can use to go after any cryptocurrency they want, including Ethereum, and they even say it in their own tweet here. (laughs) So it sounds like (laughs) cryptocurrencies will have to change their marketing teams to lobbying teams. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, they're doing that. That's for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of lobbying going on. Jeremy K. follows up on Twitter. Yeah, this SEC versus library case establishes a precedent that threatens the entire U.S. cryptocurrency industry. Under this standard, almost every cryptocurrency, including Ethereum and Doge, are securities. The future of crypto now rests with an organization worse than the SEC, the U.S. Congress. Um, it's funny to see everybody freak out like they didn't know this. And I don't I don't mean to have so much Schodenfrauder here and, and really take a victory lap, but I guess... I guess I'm feeling a little vindicated today because it it just, I tried to express this. I tried to express this opinion to my friends in the Linux content creation space that were joining the platform and everybody just kind of laughed at Chris, but Chris gets the last laugh. And this is what I've been saying about all cryptocurrencies, except for Bitcoin. NFTs also fall into this securities category. There's a massive difference and Satoshi Nakamoto just disappearing was perhaps the biggest stroke of brilliance that could have ever happened. But then the block size wars came along and completely obliterated huge parts of the OG Bitcoin dev team. So even like some of the OG people in Bitcoin were gone. And it really, truly became a dispersed, decentralized, open source development project. And it's been that way for 10 of its 13 years of existence. And the downside is that it just moves slower. It develops slower. It's a little, maybe not to be unfair, but maybe it's a little bit more like FreeBSD in that regard, right? And the coins and altcoins, they're maybe a little bit more like your Hana Montana Linux where they can move really quick and they can break stuff and they can spin it as, hey, you know, we're just trying things out. We're learning as we go. It's the future. And the user's like, oh, that's great. And they clap and everything's really great until it crashes down all around them. So that's, I think, the difference here. And maybe these bear markets are opportunities for people to figure it out. That's got me thinking a little bit about open source communities in general. Like, do you think that a project that starts up, you know, it's one developer sitting there making a project. Is it necessary for that person to kind of take a back seat a little bit and let the community take over to have a really successful and well, maybe massively successful project? You know, is there a correlation there between those two realms? Good question again. And I think, yeah, Litecoin kind of had something sort of like that happen. The OG dev was there. And then one day he was like, I'm out. And he sold towards one of the tops and he pieced out for a while. And then he came back a few years later, but he didn't have you know nearly the bag anymore that he did before. It's really, really hard because anything that comes after Bitcoin is going to be inspired by Bitcoin. And so it's going to be created by a person. And... What we are seeing, what's happening today as we record, is the FTX crypto exchange just had to sell to their competitor because they were using their own fake token, which just totally collapsed underneath them. So now they, now their whole Sam Bankman-Fried went from one of the richest men in crypto with one of the most powerful exchanges that was buying up different crypto organizations in a bear market to he just became someone who had to sell his business because they screwed around with a crap coin. Like it's just the reality of it, and. The problem that gets everyone is greed, because if you're going to create a token, you're going to create a token that's worth money. 
How do you resist the temptation to just not make a million of them for yourself first? It's called a pre-mine. And if you're creating it, it's so easy to justify the need for a pre-mine because, well, the project's going to have expenses. There's hosting. You might need to establish a foundation. There's going to need to be community form. And like, well, we have expenses, so we should probably set a million of these tokens aside for ourselves. But the problem is you've immediately made it a security. You begin to manage it. And of course, you want to manage your own bag. You want to make sure that price go up. And of course, you're going to be tempted to sell every time the price hits a new local high. You're going to be tempted to sell because you got these tokens for free. So if you got a million tokens and the price is now 90 cents, that matters. Or if it gets up to two bucks, it doesn't we don't have to. We're not looking at Bitcoin prices here. It could just be a couple of bucks. But when you get millions of tokens at zero cost and then those tokens go up to a couple of dollars, these people can't resist but to sell. It's just human greed. Like, it's just. The ship has sailed, you know what I mean? And it just doesn't happen. <laughs> it's reminding me of like the snake oil era when everyone was trying to like, you know, early capitalism, everyone's just trying to sell like whatever they can, whether it works or not, just to make a buck. Yeah. It seems almost normalized now for that to be the case. Like people are just really, they're making their own currencies and trying to sell it to the next guy just to get a foot up. It's crazy. Yeah. It's why we need to just kind of, I guess, go through this phase is people just try it. They experiment, right? We have to learn what works and what doesn't. That's why I think when fountain streams sats, I'm good with that because I can take those sats anywhere. I know there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. Every single Bitcoin, every single Satoshi can be accounted for if it's active on the network or what wallet it is sitting in, every single coin can be accounted for. You can always verify supply. You know there will never be more than 21 million and they're all fungible. So you can, I can, or non-fungible, whatever. I can take the, I can take the Satoshis out of Fountain FM and I can put them in my wallet and vice versa. And if Fountain FM goes away tomorrow, those sats are still mine. They're still real sats. But if Fountain was making their own token, you know, the Fountain coin, and then Fountain goes under, then your balance is worth nothing. Mm-hmm. That's just not not sustainable. So I think it's just we have because they know the technologies become available to us. We like have to go through this phase of screwing around to find out, I guess. And in this case, it, it hit our community pretty hard because Linux creators were one of the first to want to jump over because we are so desperate for Google alternatives. I I think the motivation to adopt Libri or library came from a good spot. But I think then you get that, that token in there and it just starts to get a little weird. Well, and Neff suggested in the chat that actually the community was a bit even more toxic over on that platform than it was on YouTube, which is, I mean, that's saying something, right? Well, don't you think there's a bit of irony about that? You'll see it with Mastodon, too, in some cases. If people are leaving the mainstream platform, then it's possible that they are kind of on the edges of issues, left or right or whatever it could be, however you want to frame it. And so I think you do get a higher concentration. Like uh, Rumble has basically become... Uh, a right-wing platform because it became popular in the sp- in the conservative space on YouTube. When you get kicked off of YouTube, go to Rumble, and a couple of well-known conservative figures got kicked off, and they promoted Rumble. So then, kind of everybody moved over there. You see those kinds of things happen. What it really is solidified for me is Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, and those types of things. That's the new mainstream media, right? That's the new modern mainstream media. And then you have your individual peer tube instances and Mastodon instances that are the independent media. And they 
will range in quality and they will range in topics like independent media does. I think the, the red flag is whenever they work in their own token and their own coin. Right? There's no reason we can't do all of this with sats and lightning. For regardless, and then it's platform independent, it's vendor neutral, it's application neutral, it's the opposite of what the LBC token was. I hope that's the direction we go. And I feel like podcasting 2.0 is taking us in that positive direction. I have a history question for you. And then I'm hoping you can fill me in. It seems like Bitcoin got a lot of stuff right. You know, it seems like every time you and I have a conversation about this, it's like, oh, yeah, Satoshi seems to have, you know, created it this way and that avoids this and this and this and this problem. And there's like a host of those design decisions that seem to have led to its success, or at least it's like being different than a lot of the problematic cryptocurrencies. So was there a coin before Bitcoin that did a bunch of stuff wrong that they learned from? There was a couple of initiatives. Some of the core technology goes back to 1982. One of the key discoveries that made Bitcoin possible actually goes back to 1982. And so there's been things different ideas, proposals that have come along, but nothing quite like this. The com what Satoshi was brilliant at, clearly seeing the way the economic situation was trending, right? Bitcoin came to life in, after the 2008 financial crisis. That's when Satoshi really turned it up to 11. And so it was being able to observe what was happening in the macroeconomic world and then also seeing like three key technologies, you know, uh, proof of stake, Proof of work, which is actually originally developed. Proof of work was originally developed for spam prevention. Um, the scarcity concept. And I think another key innovation that Satoshi had that is truly hard to appreciate until we're years down the road is the timed release of Bitcoin and the automatically increasing difficulty. So you always get a block about every nine minutes. TikTok, another block. Bitcoin's a clock. Every nine minutes or so, you get a block. And Bitcoin will automatically adjust its difficulty to keep that average around nine minutes. That, I think, was another one of the key innovations. And you look at how much insight it took to figure all that out. And I think it causes people to speculate that perhaps Satoshi was multiple people. But an analysis of the writing and the source code, which is consistently not so great initially, would suggest it is one person. But uh, over time, that source code has been, you know, like all free software projects, right? When, when Linus first released the Linux kernel, uh, he didn't think it would run on, on anything but, you know, i386 and SATA disk or something, right? He, didn't, <laughs> he never thought it'd go anywhere from there. Well, look at us now. And then, you know, people came along and made it, made it something else. And we, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, that's what Satoshi did with Bitcoin. But unlike Linus, Satoshi didn't stick around. And um, that, I think, was a key insight, too. And it... it it humbles me to think about just how brilliant that individual would have to be for all these insights. And I think it's one thing you can do is you can go get the Bitcoin white paper. If you just Google for Bitcoin white paper, just read the first eight pages. You don't even have to read the whole thing. And you will be, I believe, struck at the brilliance and the foresight and the elegance and almost the art of what he created. I mean, it's so it's so amazing. It's like I said, it's very humbling. And you just read it. You just get that. I, I feel you can get that sense in the first eight pages of the white paper. It's really something. I would be surprisingly OK to find out, you know, in like three years from now that Satoshi was actually like an AI representation of Einstein or something. They took all Einstein's work and threw it in, or like some alien intelligence that just came down and gave us a little nugget. I'd be strangely OK with that. What if it was a government agency? 
you know, like Tor, hmm. right? Like, what if it was like a Department of Defense or intelligence agency thing that they did because, you know, they saw the way the Western nations were acting financially and they knew that they would have to create something that would, because what's, what's, and this is actually, if you look through history, this happens a lot, uh, the timing of this. How remarkable is it that the timing worked out that right as we are just seeing runaway inflation, we are seeing currencies get devalued like we've never seen in our lifetime, total collapse in trust in all kinds of different institutions. And this thing, Bitcoin, comes around and its key features are scarcity, provably scarce, and trust, verifiable trust. Like everything's mathematically provable. Everything's fully accountable. Everything's transparent on the blockchain. So there's no like fake money printing. There's no like tokens that you're actually not really don't really actually have any collateral to back them up or like it appears like in the FTX case, their tokens value may have been tied to the balance of their users accounts. So like the overall money they had basically on file from their users. But then when there was a bank run, their collateral evaporated. And it's just like that kind of that you never know what these companies are doing. Bitcoin is provable, it's verifiable, and it's happening right at a time when you have conspiracy theories about literally everything. You have documented statistical low trust in the media, the lowest it's ever been historically, low trust in governments, low trust in political officials. People don't even believe in election results right now. But we have this Bitcoin thing, and it's mathematically provable. And I just find that the timing of it remarkable, right? That's really something. Yeah, I agree. It's really a powerful thing. It's one of those gifts. And I think, you know, the the the, the podcasting 2.0 stuff is a preview of how it could be implemented in the future. Like one thing we struggle with is how do we pay friends and family when we visit in the RV? Because we're there for a week sometimes or two weeks, you know. Sometimes we're taking our energy off solar. And we're using propane for heat. Sometimes we're using electricity. Like it's, it's really, really just random. And we've, Hadi and I were just talking about this last night. Like we're, we're trying to come up with a formula where we can say, okay, you know, what are your bills? We'll pay you a percent or whatever. And it's just, it's so different everywhere you go. And how great would it be if when I plug in jupes, I just stream sats for what I use. And it just, if you apply that idea to all kinds of things, things you only need to use occasionally or Things, things like we're all feeling subscription fatigue. So what if you just got rid of subscriptions and you just stream sats when you use something or you send a boost in and that, that system, not only is it just more straightforward and more pragmatic, but also it gives you a real connection with that thing. Like it, it, it assigns like the, what the value is. And I think that's an important thing to think about when you're using water or consumable goods like electricity or energy. So I, I feel like what we're seeing with boosts I hope we'll spread to free software next. I kind of did a round. I, I did a round of looking this morning because I'd like to put some free software projects in our splits. And I mean, I'd love to donate some sats to Tor or to OBS or to FFmpeg or, you know, whatever. But, you know, there, we're ne- it's just not happening. We're not seeing it yet. Inevitably, though, as the network grows, as the value grows and as more things come online, there will be more and more things that we can pay you know, stream sats to or whatnot. So I'm hopeful. Why do you think we're not seeing it? You know, is it a technical barrier? Well, I mean, look at the absolute ridiculous clown world that is the crypto market. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, we just talked about the library, the Libri coin or whatever. And we talked about the FDX coin and there's a dog, there's dog coins. I mean, I think it's totally reasonable to look at the crypto market and just paint it all with a single brush. People did that to Linux for a decade. They just uh, they just dismissed it as, oh, free all free software is garbage and Linux is free software. Therefore, it's garbage. And they did that over and over again. And they it took a while for people to realize there were actual diamonds in the rough. But there's just a really real challenge, especially with all of the hype on social media and on YouTube and all these crypto projects have marketing departments. There's just a real challenge getting the signal through that noise. I don't know. Maybe a recession will kill off some of these crypto projects. And if we have a few more liquidations, like we're seeing with the LBC and FTX token right now, a few of these things will start to die away. Bitcoin will remain standing just like it has for every bear market for the last 13 years. And maybe there will be some recognition that there is an actual blue chip asset out there. And then there's a bunch of crap out there. I don't know what it takes. It may take some sort of layer of abstraction. We'll have to see. My hope is the free software community is one of the first movers because the entire stack is free software. And it's something RMS has always talked about, too. But getting payments over free software was once seemed it seemed like an impossible task. And now the whole infrastructure is just ready for them. And it's just getting better. So when they're ready to come on board and ready to throw up like a BTC pay server or something and self-host their own system to get donations, the first couple of projects that do it are going to have a lot of success because in the meantime, we're building out a network for them. You know, I can very much understand the hesitation, though. I mean, look at, was it a year ago, Mozilla wanted to accept some Bitcoin donations and just got totally a, just a storm of criticism for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So take a small software project and uh, yeah, you get that kind of criticism and maybe the project just dies, you know, so I could see the hesitation. It's a, you know, we live in a, a time where a couple of idiots that are shooting their mouths off about stuff they don't even understand. You know, because some of those same people were telling you to go over to the library and become a library user, you know, like right. <laughs> just absolute uninformed idiots. But A, social media platform gives them a megaphone and B, there's a big problem in our tech community. And I'm sure you and I have followed victim to it. I see it all the time, especially when it comes to this stuff. If you're very savvy technically, I think it's a bad habit to just assume you can look at something and understand it and figure it out. And I think that's the case with a lot of cryptocurrency stuff is you have people who have been in tech for a while. They've seen stuff come and go. They understand a lot of this stuff. They might even kind of grok some of the networking fundamentals that enables these coins to be possible, perhaps even kind of understand what blockchain is, which, you know, isn't really good for much in most cases. So in a lot of ways, they're right about things. Like so many topics, you learn once you dive into it, that there was a whole world that you didn't know existed. For me, this journey started over a year ago when I got an email into the Coda radio program. It was a really simple email. It just said, hey, guys, what are your thoughts on Web3? And I went, what the hell is Web3? And I went and looked it up and I watched some YouTube videos so I could you know, actually have a response for this guy. My first take was 25 minutes of trashing it all, just trashing crypto, trashing all of it, because I looked at it and I figured I was educated enough to know what the hell I was talking about. And I unleashed. There was something in the back of my mind, though, a couple of things that kept like circulating. I thought, well, I'll look into that. And I'll look into that. And that started a process, which you were here for some of it, where I was just really deep diving and I was just consuming everything I could 24 seven about the topic um, and basically coming up to speed on how the Federal Reserve System works, how the U.S. Treasury and Federal Reserve interoperate and what the difference is between the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury. Like, 
Is the Federal Reserve even part of the government? Like just learning all of that again um, and how that system works and what government bonds are and just really going deep into that whole macro economy stuff. And then from that, understanding what makes something a shitty asset versus a pristine asset. And then kind of from there, re-coming back to Bitcoin again, then understanding why all these other things are securities. And But it took a whole process of like reading really boring financial books and watching excruciatingly boring financial videos and live streaming Jerome Powell when he does his Fed hearings, which I still do, right? Like it takes just watching C-SPAN videos and stuff that you never were into before. But I don't know. I just I really got into it for a bit. And it turned out, you know, there's a lot of things happening there. And I just don't think people have the time for that generally. Uh, I just get a little obsessive sometimes. Well, have you ever considered co-hosting a podcast where you can kind of teach some of this stuff? <laughs> we should plug the Bitcoin <laughs> dad pod. And the Bitcoin dad is an actual genuine trained economist. So uh, I learn from him all the time. You know who else I learned from? Linode. Linode has built a fantastic product. So go to linode.com slash Jupiter and get $100 while you support this here show and the whole JB network. This is the cloud I trust. This is a pristine asset right here. They've got really a great setup because for 19 years, they've had to survive on the merit of the product, not by crazy VC funding or weird tokens or selling monkey JPEGs. They had to actually create a top tier hosting provider. And they are. They've got the best price to performance out there, 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscalers out there that also just want to lock you into their platform. And as a result of trying to be really competitive, they created fantastic support department. They have a beautiful dashboard, a clean, easy to use API that has lots of pre-written libraries. So you can just plug it into your existing product or just use the command line client. You can even just run it on the node itself and then just take a snapshot. They have machines that range from like little nanodes that can maybe run a game server, or your next cloud instance or a blog all the way up to ginormous systems like our matrix box that has 96 gigs of RAM and like 48 CPU cores. They go beyond that too. They got rigs with like 300 gigs of RAM and multiple GPUs, which we had the opportunity to try recently. So it really scales for an individual or for a business. And man, has that saved our bacon. When we first deployed a couple of instances, we didn't have as many listeners. We didn't have as many people using these community services. So we started really small. And then over time, I've just turned it up as I've needed it. And I've looked at the math and I've thought, you know, if I were going to like, I don't know, have some sort of crazy great internet connection here at the studio and rack my own servers, maybe initially I'd probably price a beefier box. And so maybe for a year, I wouldn't have to make any adjustments or two. But like when you look at the way our matrix community exploded, it wasn't more than maybe nine months into a matrix community where we we greatly outscaled what I would have been able to throw at it hardware wise here at the studio and being able to go into Linode and go, yeah, we got a little more, turn it up. Right. And on top of that, Linodes have a 40 gigabit connection. I don't think I'm going to get a 40 gigabit connection here at the studio. You know what I mean? And then the other thing that makes it crazy is they mirror the packages for like the distros that they, that they let you one click deploy. And so the packages are installing like over their local LAN, which is mind blowing. I love it. I love, I love updating my Linodes because of that. It's just, whoosh, watch it go. I mean, yeah, you could use your Ansibles or your Terraforms or your Kubernetes, but I like SSH and in and just watching it go, you know, something I actually enjoy. I'm weird like that. So get a hundred bucks, play around, see how weird you are and go see why we love it. Linode.com slash Jupiter.
Thank you, Linode. So, um, Brentley, in lieu of a website update this week, unless you have stuff you want to do, I know we have a couple other like website adjacent topics we want to cover. So this is your kind of segment, so I'll let you pick where we start. Yeah, well, I, w- I would say, as always, there's been some exciting stuff going on at the website project. One of them, though, I thought we should hone in on. There's been a lot of development on search and transcriptions. And now it's not fully kind of fledged out. But earlier in August, listener PagDot uh, opened an issue with a ton of investigations into transcriptions and the various services and AI that could help us do that. Uh, some of it is IBM Watson. SpeechBrain is on that list. Deep Search, Whisper. And the great thing is PagDot keeps updating those results. So I can see every once in a while, like, I don't remember that one on the list, but it's like, oh yeah, a few days ago it got updated and they just continue to like try new technologies and try to sort things out. But this last week, uh, Flack M just kind of came in with a bunch of enthusiasm, really interested in solving the search topic that we've been talking about. So not only searching through our show notes, but being able to search through basically JB history. Ah, so like the spoken words. Yeah. And so what's missing there is accurate transcriptions, especially transcriptions that you can search for technical terms because, yes. you know, every third word that we say on, on the network is some kind of technical term. And if you just take an sort of, you know, an English dictionary style uh, transcription, then it's, you know, you're not going to catch everything. I would imagine that's not unique to our realm, but it's something to consider. And the Linux ones might be a little more niche than a general. Like we're not saying iPhone a lot, right? We're saying Linux terms a lot. Weird distro names. The reality is you can hardly say most of them. Most, yeah. <laughs> you're not a good day. So. <laughs> <laughs> well said. But Flat has been just like all week, just doing a ton of research on this and trying various things. And I wanted to highlight some of that because I thought it was pretty exciting when I first kind of had a glance at it. But then I really dug in and it's like, oh, no, wait, there's some really exciting stuff going on here. So they recently discovered a transcription library called whisper.cpp. Uh, I believe that's a C plus, written in C++ to help uh, access the Whisper model, um, OpenAI's Whisper model. So that happens to be a high-performance inference of OpenAI's Whisper automatic speech recognition model. So that is exciting. So it's a, a means, as far as I understand, but I'm new to all this, of just kind of throwing our audio at this thing and just automating the transcriptions coming out of it. And I thought at first, this is not going to be that great, right? We've been wishing for this for years. And I remember last year at some point we had an app that we were trying out and it was like, yeah, it's kind of cool, but it's super inaccurate. And maybe in 10 years we'll have something. But it turns out that some of these are actually really super accurate. We've been using LAN 264 as a transcription example. And uh, Chris, I threw up three of them that FlackM has been working on. So one of them is, it's it's almost like tuning how hard uh, Whisper works to kind of get accuracy out of these models. So there's a fast one uh, called Tiny, which works really quickly. So about 18 seconds to do 60 seconds worth of audio. Oh, okay. And it's, the accuracy is surprising on that one, but you can kind of dial it up just a little bit. And so there's a, a, a step up, which is called bass. And I suppose that's a 
mighty fine default. So about it's a little slower at about like 33 seconds to do a transcription of a 60 second audio bit, but it gets a little bit more accurate. But then there's just like ludicrous, which is they call medium. <laughs> I think it's ludicrous. Okay. And so it's super slow at taking 426 seconds to deal with 60 seconds of audio. But it's even getting things like it's it's properly uppercasing GNOME and GTK4 and and properly uppercase Q, lowercase T for cute. Right? And so I feel like I was blown away. Like the accuracy at this is just way out there. I saw some early transcripts where, and I was going to read some on here, but I just thought it was super embarrassing. I was like, we can, there's no way this is going to be usable for JB. But these examples are like, oh, wait a second. Like just the defaults are perfectly fine for what we need it to be. This is remarkable. Do you know, now, do you know, can it tell the difference between speaker? Some of these offer that as well. Yeah, I think that's where my expertise, which is not very much, uh, sort of ends. And something we need to do a bit more investigation on. Uh, I think probably FlackM can speak to that more clearly. I didn't do my homework and didn't invite them, but I think we probably should invite them to come say a word or two about how this might work. Yeah, I'd be interested in that. You know, I don't know if it's necessary either that it has it. The, the core thing uh, that I want from transcripts is accessibility and searchability, you know, and so It'd be nice to have the speakers in there, but I don't know if it's actually necessary for the minimum viable product that we're looking for. I think you're right there. And it this does definitely solve that search issue. You know, searching for cute in there would totally work. And so that that is surprisingly great. And I think if we can go through our catalog and just get these transcripts, then we have them kind of forever, which is a sweet thing. Uh, so I think there's a lot more work to do there to kind of integrate it into our systems. And so FlackM's asking for a little bit of help, just some other people who might be a little bit interested in helping solve some of these problems. And so they have um, a repo under their personal GitHub called Jupyter Search, which I thought was actually pretty good. And they're just investigating kind of what's next uh, to get this to be sort of a solid solution for us. So I think if you're interested, please come join us and uh, let's solve this because it's actually insanely exciting. Super, super exciting. I really am very thrilled by this. My overall goal with this stuff and all of the podcasting 2.0 stuff that we're trying to adopt is to automate the workflow as much as possible. I know our friends out there right now are using things like sovereign feeds and they're publishing stuff manually and maybe they're even manually generating the transcripts or like in the case of uh, uh, podcasting 2.0 show and no agenda, Adam is fortunate enough that he has community members that help him with the chapters. But all of that in the way JB works, in order for us to scale, we want to automate it. And so right now we have an encoding system that we call Castablasta. When the editor is done, they have a FLAC. Or if we do a live-to-tape show, we export a FLAC. That FLAC is ingested by our Castablasta system that runs on Linode. That encodes it to you know an MP3 file. It generates a visual YouTube video, an MP4 it embeds metadata like chapter and ID3 tag information. It uploads it to Fireside and it publishes on Fireside. And it and it does a it does um, a few other things like it used to actually do our WordPress posts, and and it does a couple of other things on the back end for us. And we would like to slip in things like transcription generation as just part of that because for us the goal is 
to automate that as much as possible so that way we don't make mistakes. Because for, you know, years, a decade, I did all this stuff by hand. I manually created the posts. I manually did the ID3 tag information. I manually created the RSS feed. And, you know, a couple times a year, I screwed it up <laughs> in a really embarrassing, very public way that also usually cost me downloads. Since we've automated it, we've eliminated those types of mistakes. And the infrastructure isn't very complicated, so it's not like we've created this Pandora's box of issues that we can't manage as long as Fireside's up. And that's an external dependency that we'll probably work out. My goal would be that ultimately our website, things like transcription stuff, that kind of stuff would be adoptable by other people that want to embrace podcasting 2.0 and do it in a way that scales for them. I don't know how far we'll get. Ultimately, I could see all of this backend stuff, the encoding stuff, the transcription stuff. If it's all self-hosted, I could see a lot of that or whatever can be self-hosted running in a container. And that container is published up on Docker Hub. And other podcasters that are doing podcasting 2.0 could pull that container down. And when they hit it with their web browser, it'd give them a little upload. They'd upload an MP3 or a FLAC file and submit it to their system, put the title information in there, whatever. We don't have anything for that right now. And then it would kick off. And at the, by, when it was done, they'd have a published episode. So once the idea is, once the FLAC is done, be it live to tape or from an editor, you're done. Everything else after that point is done by the computer. And generating an RSS feed is totally doable. Generating a transcript automatically is totally doable. Our website auto-builds and publishes itself now, thanks to our community. We're already doing that with the new Hugo website. And it means that there's not somebody who messes up the WordPress posts this time. So that's where I'd like all this to slide in. Now, where we're still kind of figuring out where the lines are at is what is internal tooling what is something that is publicly possible for people to develop on? What's something we have to develop internally? What, where is that line? And is there a way for both? And that's all stuff we have to figure out, like especially when it comes to RSS feed generation. But I like the way this is going. And I really appreciate the hard work that's going in from, from I think both, you know, thank you to Flack and, uh, and PagDoc. PagDoc? Yeah, PagDoc, I, I think. I don't know. Thank you both of them. <laughs> and of course you, but thank you, you guys, because this is something that, is not only going to be nice for SEO purposes, but it's also going to enable a, another audience type, right? Like we don't have transcripts right now. So anybody who's hearing impaired is kind of left out from the content. Sometimes, you know, there's something in there that they'd be interested in. Yeah, I agree completely. And it, it got me thinking a lot about Casta as a tool. And you mentioned kind of figuring out that line between what is, you know, open source-esque and out there for our community to work on with us and what's just internal. And I can see Wes in the chat room. I'm sure he has some thoughts on this. And so it got me wondering like, well, maybe a few questions. A, should Casta be more open source-esque so that uh, our community members can come in and help us solve some of those problems, especially because they, it seems, they just keep having amazing ideas and some real skills to implement some of this stuff along with us, which is really exciting. But the other question would be, is that possible? You know, is there some sensitive stuff in there that we don't want JB to uh, put at risk? So should Casta be open to our community to help on or not? You know, that's a hard question to answer. There's that. Yeah. Is it built really for public consumption too? You know, it's an internal tool. Yeah, I'm not convinced. Not convinced. Well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And I think the more that the community gets involved, the more that sways our decision that direction. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's what happened with the website. We were initially thinking maybe we'd build this internally. And 
I think the net result has been much better. There's things, you know, like it's always been true. There's just core competencies. It's like we have the skill set, but we also don't really have the time because we have so many other things we're doing, right? And probably should be focused more on the content when we can, when we can make that that choice. Yeah, and I feel like what's really neat is that people can just come in and like really dive in on one particular aspect of the whole big picture and just say, oh yeah, I'm really interested in search, but oh wait, we need transcriptions too. And that's kind of related and I'm going to tackle that. And it it means they don't need to worry about, you know, the other hundred issues that are also open. But I love that idea that someone can just come in and solve a small problem, but it's like the Unix way, you know, solve a little problem and it just all adds up into this kind of amazing solution. The other thing, too, that's kind of neat about it, I suppose, is it's work that improves the experience for all the other audience members. Yeah, good point. And what's weird about it is like it's a way for your work to affect several millions of people, but not like like, you know, tens of millions of people, right? It's like a way to have like an impact that will actually impact a, a sizable user base if you look at it in that term. But it's not like it's going to, uh, it's not like it's going to also like blow up in your face and become like this huge thing. It's just not, it's not going to become like some huge maintenance burden or something like some open source stuff does, right? It's, it's really kind of straddles that line. It's like you can, it's a smaller pond because it's a, you know, it's a niche community and you can have a big impact. And like our community does, we got lots of feedback and we actually have some physical mail in the mailbag. What? Week. Really? <laughs> That's awesome. I love when this happens. I know. Um, it even includes an actual note. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this is from Edward. He's writing in from Central Florida, longtime listener, about 10 years. He's enjoying the content we produce for the podcast network. So we may have seen him from time to time. He's on Telegram or Discord as T3KG33K or sometimes at Edward Crosby on Twitter. Um, we've chatted on Telegram, he says, a few times, but he heard about our trip to JPL. So this is, a, I believe, a JPL-themed mailbag item that we got. He says, I was excited about your chance to see space in history and space future. My brother-in-law visits the LA area, so I'm hoping to take advantage of the tour of JPL soon. He also wants to take his brother. He's excited about NASA going back to the moon, he writes, and he says, I've included some NASA and Artemis swag in this letter. Oh, that's pretty great. He says um, he's a Linux sysadmin. And uh, he says, yep, that means rel to be exact. <laughs> and some AIX as well. <laughs> oh, wow. How about that? Well, he says, uh, if you've been following the unfortunate attempts for launch, he thinks it's going to happen. Um, he wants to include as much swag as possible for the entire team, including remote team members. He specifically mentions you and wow, Alex. that's thoughtful. He says he hopes I will distribute it appropriately. <laughs> like my laptop. <laughs> uh, he says, apologies if I didn't send it up. Keep up the great work. Uh, thank you for what you're doing. That's amazing. He'd like to contribute again in the future. And he may try to send a boost soon, he says. <laughs> Look at that. That is. Wow. Thank you. Edward. Thank you. Edward. That's amazing. Yeah. So there is a whole bunch in here, including uh, some Artemis swag and pamphlets here. And uh, oh, boy. Oh, geez. Yeah, wow, whoa. Oh, my God. He managed to cram a ton of stickers in here. We'll have no problem. Oh, wow. No problem distributing that. Yeah. I didn't realize. I dumped a few on the floor, too, but I'll get them. Uh, so, oh, and some really cool pamphlets. Oh, the launch complex. Oh, man, I'd love to go down there and see that. Well, you just got to find a way to get invited. I mean, we, we did pretty well last time. We got we to gotta figure out a reason to go down there, and then when we're down there, we visit Mike. 
you know, my buddy from Coda Radio, we go see Mike because he lives there. He's our Florida man. Yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of stickers that I didn't drop. Oh, nice. And then there's a whole bunch that I did drop. So uh, I will definitely set them aside for you guys. Oh, some of those cool classic NASA stickers oh, in there. Oh, yeah. Those are good. Look great. at that. I don't know if you can see the Artemis sticker in there. It's yeah. got a big A on it. Oh, it looks so <sighs> cool. And then there's like a patch in here or something. Okay. I got to dig in here for a second. We're Excuse clearly me. nerds. Uh, strangely okay with it. Oh, this is. Oh, I love this stuff. <laughs> and isn't it nice to have something like to be enthused and proud of that the government's doing too? Isn't that nice? Yeah, imagine that concept. Eh? <laughs> oh, geez, this is so great, Edward. Thank you. Yeah, that's thoughtful. Very, very thoughtful. And uh, I'm gonna, I, I might, I might snag, snag a couple for the kiddos too. You know, this is great. And the back of a phone card holder. They have a brain booster. My job is to safely take our astronauts to the new and exciting places deep in space and bring them back safely. That's a brain booster for you. I like a brain boost. That's fun. Physical mail is fun. We've been lucky because Nev recently sent that ARC GPU. Thank you, Nev. Breaking news on that. I believe the Thaleo is officially ordered. <laughs> you believe? The new Thaleo. <laughs> Do you not know? <laughs> well, I'm always, you know, hesitant until I see a shipping notification. Oh, I see. I don't know. It just doesn't feel quite as real. But I'm going to get the specs. I'll get it all put together. I'm pretty proud because it's, I think, a banging Thaleo. For under two grand. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Easily a five-year plus machine, I think, for under two grand. Nice. And that thing is so slick. Like, I love the case design. They worked super hard on that. I, I'm, yeah, they, they should be proud of that thing. And I took what our experience that we got in testing it, and I spec'd it. I'll, I'll give you a little, a little hint of what I did a little differently. I decided to go for an i5. Kind of reduce some of the power and heat. Wow. All right. I made a couple other choices. So you're not going to have to like peck this one for a while? <laughs> it's the hawk attack. <laughs> and it works. I had to do it yesterday, man. It works. Oh, man. Yeah. It's the, it's, that's how you net. Yeah. You know, when a fan's going out in a PC and it starts making that grinding noise, you can get an, I, I am living proof that you can get another year out of it if you do the hawk attack. <laughs> Got to hit the hawk attack. Hey, I'm curious, and maybe this is the wrong show for this, but you'll tell me. Did you ever get an update on what happened? For what? The Thaleo, remember it, it kind of failed on us right on the day of record and then it kind of worked again the next day or something like that? You know, I, I should actually email them and ask them if they had a chance to test it. That's a great yeah, question. Yeah, I'd love to know that. My outgoing theory before I shipped it was that there was like a disconnect with the power button. That's logical. Because, um, you know, there's, there's, that, there's a connector built into the case that has to sit on top of the power button connector. And I'm wondering if somehow that got, I don't know. But I should email them and ask. We had the case open 20 times in yeah. in ideal circumstances. So I could see I could see that happening. It's probably, yeah, blame us. I'm I'm fine with that. It could be that. It might be something else. But we'll find out if this one has a problem. <laughs> All right. So uh, we have more of the traditional style feedback as well. I think the real mail, the physical mail is more traditional stuff. <laughs> okay. All right. Good enough. Wow. That shows you my age, doesn't it? Well, I live in a digital world. I am post snail mail. So I'm not that old. That's what I'm saying. I'm actually saying I'm not that old. Bo wrote in with something that I think is really great. You're going to appreciate this, Chris. They write, uh, since Office Hours 14 had the bit about clipping and driving, I thought you might find this workflow and this app kind of interesting. Snip D. I guess I'm saying that right. That's the only way to say it. Yeah, that sounds like a, a medical procedure that gentlemen get after they've reached a certain point in life. I... <laughs> Snipped? Snip D. Snipped? How... Yeah, because it's not sniped. Mm, so, I'm going to go with snipped. Snipped, snipped is a, like it's like a clip. Yeah, clip snip. You snip a clip. Yeah. 
Snipped is a podcast app with a killer feature of on-the-fly text transcription and a big old snip button right in the middle of the player. But it doesn't support 2.0 features yet as they're interested and focused on other areas. Uh, I asked, says Bo. Well, thank you for asking for us. For a popular podcast, they will automatically run the episode through their algorithms to generate the transcripts, and I think have some humans go through the transcripts as well. Sort of clean it up. Yeah, exactly, which is a great idea. For less well-known podcasts, they transcribe on-demand, machine-only, and it takes a few minutes, but it works well. The transcriptions are never perfect, but serve the purpose you mentioned of not losing an interesting clip while you're driving. The button is big enough that it's safe-ish to do while driving, equivalent to hitting pause or play. It captures a generous amount of content on either side, and so you don't have to think too much, as is often the case, uh, about finding the topic you're interested in. I'd love to see the app that does 2.0 stuff and integrates this feature as well. He also included an example link uh, of a snip that we could have a look at, and I think... Oh, yeah? Did you include it? All right, I'll, I'll play it. You want to play it? Let's see. Uh, is this, uh... it's, Chris, it's a transcription, so uh, it's actually text. You're used to clips on Fountain, but this one's a text transcription, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, it's text, right. So you can play the audio with the transcript? Is that the idea? You know, I didn't see that from the link. Maybe you're seeing that. I didn't look very closely. So it doesn't do like karaoke style, but it does seem to do speaker separation, which is nice. Yes. Hmm. So Fountain also offers uh, transcripts when you go to clip. You you can get a text. You, it'll do a transcript of the podcast, and you can get all the text inside Fountain. They don't really expose it in other ways, though. Well, do you think that Fountain could change a few things to just make clipping a little bit more uh, clip and drive safe, would you say? Well, I, I maintain for that, which you really probably want is something more akin to like a bookmark. Mm. You know, like if you were reading something, you'd put like a little sticker in there or you put a bookmark in there. Audible has this concept. I don't know if you've ever used the Audible app, but they have this concept. If you can hit a bookmark and you can leave a note or not. And, you know, if I could just even transcript an idea, if I could hit a bookmark and say the point where the guys talk about crap coins or whatever, and then hit save, right? I'm trying not to swear. And, uh... That would be handy because then you could go back to that later, especially if you could have it set to remind you. Oh, now there's the feature. Oh, now you're talking. Now you're talking. Because we've heard that a hundred times from the audience. I want to clip it. That's where the whole don't clip and drive thing came from is by the time you get to your destination, you forget to clip. I do that all the time. All the time. I need a bookmark with with an option to have a reminder. Like once my phone's out of driving focus, you could do it that way or a reminder that's like an hour or something, you know, by default. I don't know. I'm just the ideas guy, you know, just the ideas guy. On long trips, I've considered carrying like a little notebook and maybe this is less safe. Someone will tell me this is less safe if you think it is, but no way you could write and not even look. You could still understand it. Right. And like you could figure out your own handwriting. So it's like maybe a one handed thing and you just have it on your not on your dash, but on your center console or something. And because I've often thought while driving, especially long distances on long trips that are, you know, somewhat monotonous. You get all these brilliant thoughts about like, oh, yeah, I'm making all these like connections between various ideas because finally in my day I have some downtime to kind of let my mind just wander and make all these connections. But so often that just is lost because you can't note it down or, you know, I I guess you have your watch and you can leave a note to yourself there. I wonder if you do that. But that's often been a thought of mine is like, 
I just want to capture these things. They're so valuable. And yet when you get to your destination, all of a sudden you're in the flutter of having to be somewhere or whatever. And you forget all that super valuable stuff. The watch stuff works. You know, the more specific the note is, the less accurate the transcription might be. Or one in three times, it's not going to work at all. And it's so frustrating. You know what we used to do? Right, right when I started driving, because I'm an old man. See, now I'm old. Before cell phones were really like something that you used for driving. Because there used to be this, this is going to sound weird, but before the smartphone, you put your phone away when you were driving. <laughs> what a concept. Yeah. Now you put it up and you mount it on the dash or whatever. So that way you got your maps and your music and your pods and all that. Um, but so back in my day, before then, it was actually super common for people to have a notepad mounted to their windshield or mounted to their dash. Oh, Chris, <laughs> I didn't realize this. <laughs> It shows the slight difference in age of you and I, perhaps, but that's a brilliant idea. I actually think, though, the better route to go is like pilot Mike is strap it to the leg. You know, you get a notepad that you can strap to your leg. So it's right there with a with a loop for the pencil and you can just write right there. Well, you got one hand on the wheel. You got one hand writing on your leg. <laughs> I love this visual. Yeah, I think I'd work pretty well for you. So that's something to consider. I, I agree. We got to capture that stuff. You know, Jerry, I'm not going to tell you that these will increase in value or even hold their current value. The truth is, you bought them because you like them. They have value to you. That's what matters. We got some great boosts, and uh, Wim, WM, went on a boosting spree last week, and 157, 998 of those landed on the show. I actually, I included a few that went over to Jupiter Extras in there uh, because I wanted to get his note on here. It says, I wish I had something cool or funny here, but I'm not a super fan. I've just been a listener for a long time. And some days listening to interesting, funny or nerdy podcasts like this helped me make it through the day. I finally landed an IT job and I have Jupiter Broadcasting to thank for helping me make the dream come alive. Wow. That's so great. That is awesome. He, he threw some stats towards... uh Unplugged, coder radio, and self-hosted too. So it was, that's amazing. It's very generous boosting spree. Pagdoc or Peg dot. I'm so sorry, man. I really am trying. I think I got it right. He told me once I got it right, but now I'm so concerned about getting it right that I get it wrong. But uh, he comes in with uh, three thousand three hundred and thirty-three sets. Pew, pew, pew. There's one big issue I have with Fountain FM. I get the feeling that they try to centralize the new podcasting stuff. Accounts play a big role, and it has many features like clips, which don't seem to be following the new podcasting spec and are limited to their app. Also, your nick is linked to your account. I lost my account there, so I'm not able to boost there as PegDot now. I may be completely in the wrong, and they're just innovating, but it feels like they lock you in. Boom, boom, boom. Hmm. I think there's some truth in that the profiles are linked to your email address. When I got a new phone and I wiped my phone and I launched and I thought I had transferred everything over, but I launched Fountain and it didn't recognize me. And the first thing it did is it went, took me through this wizard and I had a whole new profile. I didn't have any of my sats. And I was like, oh, oh, no, because, you know, I have clips and I have friends on here. And well, they're not really friends they are other clippers that I follow, but they make it pretty easy to log out of that profile. They generate for you the login with your email address. They send you a code to your email. You put the code into the app and then you get everything back. 
I don't know how they offer the community aspects, like the clipping and the username and the ability to thank somebody by sending them sats for a clip. I don't know how they do that without some sort of username system. I do agree, though. I would like to see them use the clips feature of the podcasting 2.0 spec. Podverse is a lot better at that. And I'd like to see whatever transcripts they're generating be made available via the 2.0 spec as well. Because then, and I've, I've said this to Oscar, but I think he's just got a lot going on. <laughs> to me, it's crazy that every single one of us generates a transcript for the same podcast. Just wild that they do it that way. And especially when you consider that they're generating the transcript server side. Oh, that. Oh, oh, I, I thought you were going to say it happens on the device. And I was like, well, OK, that's a good trade off. But if it's happening every single time for every user on the server, that's just. So they're they're uploading the MP3 every time somebody does it. They're running the transcription and then they're just sending them back the individual results. And to me, it just seems wild because you now have that data. If that data was available via the feed somehow, you would run it once and then everybody would have it. So there's some stuff. But, you know, the issue is, is that they are moving at 100 miles per hour and they're prioritizing certain things and not prioritizing other things. As far as the centralization goes, the key features that drive the innovation in the app, i.e. the podcasting 2.0 stuff, that's all based on the RSS feed, man. That's all in the RSS feed. And that is portable between apps. And then the other issue that I kind of takes, you know, I think is kind of makes me feel a little better is all the sats you earn and stuff. Sats are sats. You know, you can send sats in there. You could send them to another wallet, another user. You could send them to a podcast. Um, I, I, I don't feel so bad about that either. Because again, it's not like it's a fountain token. I do wish they would do a little more 2.0 spirited stuff. But like the one for me that'd be huge, and I think they're working on it, is the live item tag. Because when we get our own feeds going, we are going so all in on that live item tag. It's going to be great. And the implementation so far for the podcasts that support it on Podverse has just been so slick. You open up your podcast app. I know I go on about it, but I'm so excited about this. I've been wanting this for a decade. You open up your podcast app, and it's just your regular old list of podcasts. Nothing different, nothing weird about that. But the ones that are live just have a little live icon next to them. And you can tap it. And like, so say you were subscribed to Office Hours and you're jumping in the car or whatever, and you open up your podcast subscriptions. It'd be like a new episode of Office Hours is out. It'd be at the top of your feed with a little live icon next to it. And you could tap that and your podcast app would just tune in our live feed. And then you can boost away. You can listen away. It's like you're actually just, you know, going to the website or whatever. Like it, it's so great. And I'd love to see Fountain FM support that. But keep, you know, keep skeptical, I say. It's important to keep an eye on this stuff. And you got choice. Well, and ask, ask, the, ask the big questions. Ask the big questions. True Grits comes in with a big boost, 74,656 sats. You're doing a good job. He says the downside to boost is that sometimes you hear your own boost out loud and you think, wow, I sounded like a jerk. <laughs> 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 you know, it was last episode, uh, True Grits boosted in like, why don't you just drive slower on your road trips? That's what he's referring to. I figured you'd probably thought about longer spaced out road trips before I had, but I just wanted to know the reasoning. Oh, totally, True Grits. We weren't, we weren't offended. Uh, anyways, I have been wanting to send this large boost for a while. It's the same theme as my 1701 boost number. There's coffee in that nebula. So there you go. That is the uh, Voyager's registration number, the NCC74656 or whatever. You don't hear it very much in the show, like ever. Um, but that's the Voyager boost. I like it. 74,656 sats from True Grits. Thank you, sir. 
and Captain Janeway gets her coffee. DJ boosted in with some elite sats. Interesting updates going on over there. Things are really coming along for the new JB infrastructure. If you end up with your own feeds and CDNs, this may complete the podcasting 2.0 transition, a.k.a. JBTNG. Also, will there be a separate premium feed for paid subscriptions or extra special feeds for maybe big boosters? Just throwing that out there, but just in case, uh, make sure that your lightning node stays up. Keep up the good work. Yeah, that is a problem sometimes. We had a power outage. Um, so if your boost didn't come in, that's why. Will there be uh, separate premium feeds? Yeah, our, we're going to make sure our member feeds are podcasting to compatible. And we have more features for the members that are coming once we have those feeds ready. I think we're, we're still just kind of deciding what technology we use. It may be a matrix room. It may be another channel. Or maybe like, maybe a, maybe a member sat amount that's like, a certain low amount of sats and, you know, gets right on the show because it's from a member. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you authenticate that though. Um, but we're thinking about ways of doing that and features and who knows where that goes, DJ. You never know. It's possible it develops even further. This is really neat. The Mere Mortals podcast boosted in with a row of ducks. Things are looking up for all the duck. Says I was checking out some of your shows to see if I was competent enough to make some of my podcasts fully self-hosted. I'm not, lol, he writes. <laughs> uh, I came across this spicy title of yours. I think it was our, um, it was a crypto, it was an anti-crypto title. Seemed contradictory at first, but I think you're right. Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency. The rest are just crypto things. Love the shows and your adoption of the value for value model. It inspired me to create a whole show around it called Value for Value. Wow. Well, that's great. And the Mere Mortals podcast is great. And there is a value for value podcast which uh, covers the topic, which I tune into from time to time. So thank you for the boost, Mere Mortals. It's really nice to see you. That's amazing. And then Mr. Lurks a lot comes in hot with a row of sticks. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> 1,111 sets. He's got his own node rocking now, and he sent this in with boost CLI. So oh my. very nice. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Nodes up. Boostograms are coming in. He's checking the status of his note to see if he got it right and decided to YOLO some sats our way and sent in another row of sticks. And then he decided to send us a double podcast carnivore special sandwich, which is 8686 sats. <laughs> All right. Make it so. And then he sent us a late set of sats during our live stream last week. Pew! Thank you very, very much. I haven't been checking the boosts. I should. I get logged out for some reason. After uh, my most recent IP change here at the studio, every few minutes, I don't know what's going on, I get logged out of my uh, helipad umbral instance, and then I have to log back in. And then I miss the boosts that come in while I get logged out, and I feel really bad. So uh, I'll get us logged in over there. But we'll wrap up with the boosts that came in while we were off the air. Soham came in with one of our last boosts this week, and it's also a row of ducks. Things are looking up for all the duck. Uh, he went way above and beyond to send this boost in. There's a, a paste bin. I might actually read this because he kind of cheated to like make the boost longer by including a paste bin link. But when I read it, you might understand why. This is a follow up from a previous boost a couple of days ago. I'd like to share my experiences with boosting as a form of feedback. So he, he sends me this, uh, this paste bin and I said, all right, cheater, I'll go read this. And he writes, um, the trouble for me is I'm an international student in the U.S. I currently have no social security number and I have no state ID. So it means I cannot get access because a lot of these, due to regulations, require that you identify yourself. Breeze is bugging out on me, but he did manage to use a local Bitcoins resource called Local Bitcoins. 
He said, I could KYC with them, that's uh, know your customer, with them, and trade with a reputable trader in a peer-to-peer fashion. He says, I guess for me, I still get the back-in-the-alley vibe from Bitcoin. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of fun when you do it that way. It really feels like old school, like person-to-person. So weird, right? Uh, he says, I've now set up my own node. I have a, finally, got an, uh, finally have an excuse to play with the Lightning Network. I've been enjoying that, and I've set up a channel with the podcast index for convenient boosting. Keep up the good work on the shows. Amazing. That's amazing. Amazing you went to all that trouble. It is tricky um, when you are, quote unquote, unbanked in the U.S. It is extremely hard to try to participate in the system on a random day. It's totally designed for you to be completely identified and known. Would RoboSats be a way around that? <laughs> Attaboy, Brindley. Attaboy. Absolutely. Absolutely. RoboSats, for sure. I would imagine Fountain FM as well if you want to just gather some sats slowly. You could just use the earn functionality on Fountain FM. Um, I think like the first hour of listening, you stream sats. And uh, of course, you can also earn sats by getting good clips and then people boost your good clip as well. So definitely Fountain FM is one way to just do it without buying any. And then I think if you're in the US and you have like an ID, Strike and the Cash App are the easiest. Outside the Cash App, Blue Wallet, Outside the States is probably the next easiest. And then if you want something that is just off the off the radar and available anywhere, RoboSats. Um, it requires the Tor browser, but it's so great. And our last boost this week comes in from Wise Papa John with 10,000 sats. And he just wants to give his plus one for a JB meetup page for the community. That is definitely something we're still sourcing. Uh, we're sourcing ideas for community meetups. We're also trying to source ideas for RSS feed hosting, if you know of a great provider. Obviously, our first thought is like Linode object storage, maybe R2 in front of that, or something to that degree, or maybe just R2. But I'd be curious to know what you think. For something that's like multiple small XML files, well, maybe around a megabyte, who knows, that's not so small, that get hit all the time by clients. So we're looking for a way to run community meetups, that's infrastructure we're looking for, and we're looking for infrastructure to host XML files for the RSS feeds. We have ideas, but I'd be curious to know what the audience thinks is a great idea. I also think we're really close to a new show name. Whoa, that's exciting. I was thinking about announcing it this week, but we're running a little long and... Well, I I thought you wanted to bundle a bunch of other tests with the show. Yeah, I do. I, I had other ideas I wanted to do, including the new feed stuff. So I'm just excited about it, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting. So we'll have more information on all that soon. But we appreciate the boost, everybody. If you'd like to send a boost into the show, go get yourself a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com. Upgrade to a podcasting 2.0 compatible app. And then you can boost in after you got grab some sets. Eventually, ultimately, one day, we'll hope to have something on the website you can use as well. Mm-hmm. But that's that's down the road. All right, Brantley, what do you say? Time to get out of here? Yeah, you're kicking me out. Yeah. All right. Let's go. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this week's Office Hours. But (laughs) Office Hours are over. And you got to go. We'll see you next time.